Father, thank you for this Advent season. Lord, thank you for this time to prepare our hearts to remember your incarnation, your coming. Lord, to be with us, to be for us. So, Lord, I pray that um, as we are your people, your sons and your daughters, Lord, you would illuminate our hearts to this scripture that's so well known and memorized. Lord, would you, um, would you let us see it afresh this morning? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do what only you can do. Lead us closer to the Father through the word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, as Maddie said, you guys look great. I think collectively we've all gained a pound, which with this many people, I think that's, that's great. Um, this morning we come to a really familiar passage. We come to a verse that most of you have memorized. We come to a verse that um, Tim Tebow wears on his eyes. You guys seen this? You remember that? Ladies, you're now engaged. He is rather good looking. <clears throat> um, it, it's, it's the most monogrammed verse. It's always got a little lamb beside it. Um, and it's a verse that gets, I think, pushed aside because it's so familiar to us. And so this morning, I want us to try and see it from a different angle. And last week, um, we heard from Pastor Brian that Nicodemus, and Jesus' um, time with him, that Jesus said there's something that he needed to do. There was something that needed to transpire, and it was that he needed a spiritual rebirth. He needed to be born again. And um, we learned what needed to happen there, that there had to be a change. This morning, what we're going to see is why that spiritual rebirth is possible, and then how it was accomplished, okay? Why that spiritual rebirth is possible and how it was accomplished. Um, if you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to John 3.16? In the Blue Bibles, it's page 888. Interesting. And we're in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world but rather that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged and he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. We're going to stop there for a little bit. Um, I grew up right here, Moore Park Village, on Havenway Lane. And I grew up knowing that verse 19 was true. I grew up knowing that the deeds of men were indeed evil. Um, this is the trailer that I grew up in. Um, mom and dad were together till I was about five. Then mom left and, and dad stayed in that trailer for most of my adult life. And so the way that the divorce settlement worked out was that I would go to my dad's house every other weekend on Friday and Saturday nights. And then dad would get me back home to mom 
on Sunday nights. And um, the, way, the way these Fridays would work is Dad would pick me up from Mom's. We'd go to uh, Randall's, get some groceries for the week. Then we'd stop at the um, VHS store. Do you guys remember those? VHS? Yeah. It's like way back um, before CDs. So we'd get four or five VHS movies. We'd then walk next door to the liquor store, and he'd load up for the weekend. And then we'd drive about another mile down the road to the corner store. Um, Dad was kind of a penny pincher, so this is where he could get his um, cartons of cigarettes for the weekend at a reduced price, maybe like 10 cents cheaper per carton, something like that. And there was something that I saw every other Friday, every time at the corner store. There were these kids whose mom was um, sitting outside of the corner store with the mail of the week, and they had a case of cheap beer. And these two boys about four and six the first time I saw them, and then I kind of watched them grow up for a couple years. They had to play in this drainage ditch that was off of this very busy street where people went 50 miles an hour or more that had no shoulder, and it was a four or five foot drainage ditch. And it didn't matter what time Dad picked me up. Sometimes it was late because he had to work late. Those same boys played in this drainage ditch every Friday night while mom got hammered. Then on Saturday, I'd wake up, we'd have breakfast, watch a VHS movie, and then there would be a knock at the door, and it'd be one of my friends. They would say, Britt, can you, can you give me a soda? Can you, give me, can you make me a sandwich? Can you give me something with calories in it? Because mom had um, cast her check on Friday and spent it all on beer and drugs. And so they didn't have any food until Monday morning when they got back to school. And so as early as like second grade, I knew that something was broken with the world. Something was marred and fractured. I didn't know what to call it then, but I just knew that it was broken. I knew that something was not right. In the church, we call this brokenness sin. And a lot of times... When we hear the word sin, we think of the things that we do, right? It's, it's the things that we feel guilty about afterwards. But sin is really more about our nature. It's about our state than it is the things that we do. Um, just like a fever is not the problem, it's just symptomatic of what's going on deep inside of us. There's a virus or there's a bacteria that's running rampant in our bloodstream. The alcohol and drug abuse that I saw growing up was just a symptom of what was most true of my neighbors, what was true about my dad. The things that you and I feel guilty about after we do them are symptomatic of this thing that's broken and fractured in us. So we're going to go to the very beginning of the Bible. We're going to see where this brokenness, this sin, came from. We're in Genesis 2 and 3. Again, most of you know this story. It's Adam and Eve, the first humans. God creates Adam out of dust, sees that it's very good. Adam's having a blast, except there's one thing missing. And so God does surgery on him, makes woe man. He's really happy now. And they've got everything that they need. They're in the Garden of Eden. Everything's perfect. God hangs out with them all the time, face to face. And God has one prohibition. Don't eat of the fruit, this one tree. Well, 
You know the story. They do eat. They make a decision, which is a really bad one. They choose their own way. Basically what they say is, God, who you are in and of yourself and what you've provided for us isn't good enough. We're going to try it our own way. We're going to try it our own way. So in this very moment, sin and brokenness, all the stuff I saw in the trailer park, all the evil that's been done to you, all of that began right here. We see in, Act, or in sorry, Genesis chapter 3 that there are consequences for this decision by them. Verse 16, one of many. To the woman, he said, I'm sure you're going to want to talk to them when you get there. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will still rule over you. Then he said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, Don't eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is this ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. And you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken. For you, Adam, are dust. And to dust you shall return. The first consequence for this sin was that physical death entered the world. This wasn't so before. This didn't have to be the case, but now physical death is with Adam and Eve. Then in verse 23 and 24, we see the rest of it. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he had been taken. 24. So he, took, so he drove the man out. God drove Adam and Eve away from his presence because of their sin. So we see that there's physical death, there's a physical consequence, and then there's a spiritual consequence for their decision. And it's been the same for us ever since Adam and Eve. In Romans 5.12, the Apostle Paul says it like this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people. And this is why we need rebirth. Because death came to all people, because all sinned. I've just been doing my um, ordination exams, and I'm going to read um, Article 9 of the 39 Articles. This is not me trying to get extra points, I promise. I've already taken the exam. But this article explains original sin in this brokenness of our core really beautifully. Um, there's, it's obviously got the old English, but listen to what it says. Original sin standeth not in the following of Adam, but it is the fault and the corruption of the nature, the nature of every man, that naturally is engendered of the offspring of Adam. Listen to this. Whereby man is very far gone from original righteousness and is of his own nature inclined to evil. It says later in this article that that deserveth God's wrath and damnation. And it even describes this original sin, the sin nature, as an infection of our nature. So there's this thing about us that's broken and fractured 
And it's not just the bad things that we do, but rather our true state. It's our very nature. This is why Jesus says that we need to be born again. And so now we're going to go to John chapter 3. We're going to finally get there. But we needed to have the backstory. We needed to know why Jesus says that spiritual rebirth needs to happen. And because it's on all of your kids' monogram pillows, we need to see what's true of us, what's true of the world, before we get to this precious moments verse. Okay? So I want us to work backwards from verse 19. Again, we're going we're to come at this verse from a different perspective. We're going to get there, but we're going to come at it from around the bin, as it were. Verse 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. That's us, you and I. We are completely in the dark. It's not just that our deeds are evil, it's that our nature is. We think we've got a better way of ordering our lives than God, than God does. We think that who God is in and of himself and what he's provided for us isn't good enough, so we go rogue and our independent spirit comes out, and we try to make it happen on our own. The world loves darkness. You and I love darkness. Nicodemus, with the light of the world standing right in front of him, couldn't see it. This is our state. We love the darkness. So in verse 18, marching backwards here, we see that there's a consequence for loving this darkness. For our inherited sin nature, and it's judgment. He who does not believe has been judged already. And we know from verse 16 that we're going to get to here in a few minutes. We know from some other verses, particularly Romans 6:23, that the judgment that comes, or the wages, the consequence of this sin, is death. It's Adam and Eve's inherited physical death as well as spiritual death. And I can just what Imagine what Jesus is thinking when Nicodemus, this great teacher of the law, is before him. And he sees, but he does not. He has no clue how broken and fractured he is. And we are the same. And then we see in verse 17 that God does something about this sin problem for us. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world but rather that the world might be saved through him. So a couple of observations on 17. Number one, God is not angry. He's not unloving and he's not unforgiving. He didn't send the Son to the world to judge it, but rather to free it. God does not hate us. He doesn't have to be persuaded to love us. And he doesn't have to be convinced to save us. He's been telling us the same thing ever since Genesis chapter 1. Jeremiah 31.3 says it this way. I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with loving kindness. Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. This book is God's love letter to us. He's been pursuing our hearts ever since this brokenness hit. The last thing I think we should look at in 17 and 16 is that God takes the initiative here. 
Mankind doesn't fix the sin problem. Mankind doesn't try and fix this thing. What, what do we do left to our natural devices? We go to Vegas, right? Like, well, might as well go all in. Like, why? Because we loved the darkness. This is who we are. Our sin nature propels us into further darkness. Man did not try and fix this. But we see that God does. How does he do it? He sends his son on the greatest rescue op in the history of the universe. He sends Jesus. So now we finally get to our Tebow verse. For God so loved the world. God so loved the world. A couple of thoughts here. God loves every person. It's not just the religious and the right, as Nicodemus would have hoped for. Um, he loves the prostitute and the tax collector, as we see in the Gospels. He loves the drug runners. He loves the Oklahoma City Thunder. He loves Republicans. He loves Democrats, and he loves the everyone else. So God loves everyone. And this doesn't make sense to us, right, because we, we don't want God to love our enemies, we can't figure out how God could love Westbrook and Tim Duncan in the same way. Like, it's impossible. They're disparate universes, right? Yet God loves every single one of us. Secondly, the basis of that love is that it's his very nature, right? You and I, our very nature is that we're children of wrath. God's very nature, according to 1 John 4, is that he is Love And so this love that comes out is because it's who he is. It just is him. Thirdly, love acts. It doesn't sit still. It's not dormant. Gentlemen, do you remember when you spent thousands and thousands of dollars on that ring and it came in and you were just waiting? Huh? It had to act. Like you had to move forward in your love with your bride, with your future bride. Um, I heard one guy say it this way last week. He said, that ring was burning a hole in my pocket. Like, I just had to express my love for this girl. So love acts. Now, what's interesting here is there is a qualifier on God's love. It says, God, what? He so loved. Um, Libby and I, we've got this deal where we like to qualify our love for each other. And we follow the example of little nut brown hair. Um, if you've read it, you know that this is where we get the idiom, I love you to the moon and back. Um, and so this is how we express our love for each other is with this um, model. And last week, no, this week, um, taking her to school, probably the greatest gift I'll ever receive in my life. You ready for this? You're going to cry. All right, I might. I'm driving down Eisenhower. It's, it's right there, like right there. And she goes, Daddy. I love you so much. And I go, oh, thanks, Libs. How much do you love me? She goes, I love you to the sun and back. And I go, oh, that's a lot of love. And she goes, yep, it's farther than the moon. That's how much I love you. <laughs> Can't believe I didn't cry. And it was this beautiful qualifier of the amount of love she has for me. And guys, like, let's not miss this, for God so loved. 
the world. So we know that God is love. We know that his love is way bigger than just one nation or people. We know that love acts. But how did he act it out? Listen to the purpose clause. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Now again, we've memorized this and it's on all our pillows from childhood. So let me say it in a different way. Maybe you can close your eyes for this. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who thought up giraffes and marriage and the Milky Way, this one loved you so much that he gave you his son. This one. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, if you've been in the church a while, you know what that gift cost. You know that Jesus was ridiculed and he was murdered and he was mocked. He was beaten. He was sacrificed for our sakes. Um, If you've ever had a sick kid or a difficult pregnancy that you didn't know how it was going to turn out, you've had this feeling in your gut in the very pit of your soul that said, I don't care how much it costs. I don't care if we lose the house. I don't care about my 401K. I don't care about my job. I care about nothing except that this child would be healthy. All you want, you would give up everything for the sake of your child, wouldn't you? And yet, Behind this Tebow eye patch verse and the monogrammed precious moments pillow, God does something that is so radical and so scandalous that we can't see it. This is the most profound statement in the universe, I believe. For God loved us so much that he gave his son to be sacrificed. Now, what's interesting is that our verse doesn't stop here. There's another purpose clause. And I'd love to just stop right there and us go to communion and go about our day. But there's another bit here. God so loves that he gives his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And so when I think about the grief and the brokenness that I experienced as a kid and how most of my friends had it a lot worse than I did, and then I think about John 3.16 in light of John, or sorry, Genesis 3 and Romans, and I think about the incredible grief that God must have felt when his creation decided to go their own way and that they had no idea what that would do that you and I have to live in this world that's broken and fractured, that one day, many thousands of years later, he would send his son to be tortured and mocked and broken to fix it. And I think if we're feeling some heaviness, we're starting to be around John 3.16 in the right way again. 
there's a weightiness here. I think that's good and right for us. We shouldn't skip over this because it's familiar. It should stop us dead in our tracks. As we close, um, can I just be clear? I'm not trying to get you guys to stop sinning this morning. I'm not trying to get you guys to become better boys or better girls. I'm not trying to show you how to get into the religious elite club. I just get the privilege of telling you the greatest words ever said. God loved you so much that he gave his son for you. That all you have to do, listen to this, all you have to do is believe in him and you get eternal life. The curse is broken. All you have to do is accept his offer. It's a free gift and it gets you eternal life. So if you're here this morning and you've never done that, after communion, there's going to be some trained prayer ministers or come talk to one of us. We'd love to talk with you through that. Because the offer is life. Without it, though, what did we hear? We perish. Left to our own devices, there's something else, and it's banishment from God for all of eternity. So this morning, if you have not taken him up on his offer, please do so.